Shalom, Shalom. My name is Ariel Ben Lyman Hanavi. I'm delighted to hear that you are drawn to the Jewish root that supports the grafted in branches. You know, Torah is central to properly understand and perform the will of Hashem, that is, God. It is crucial for us to understand theologically that the primary purpose in Hashem's giving of the Torah as a way of making someone forensically righteous only achieves its goal when the person, by faith, accepts that Yeshua, Jesus, is the promised Messiah spoken about therein. Parashat Vazot Habracha. This is the blessing. The address is Davarim, Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 1 through chapter 34, verse 12. The reading date is actually the eighth day of assembly on the very end of Sukkot, Shmini Atzeret. Um, so this particular Torah portion is actually read during the eighth day of assembly. So that's the reading date. I'm the author, Torah teacher Ariel Ben Lyman. This particular written commentary was updated on July 4th of 2006. Note that all quotations are taken from the complete Jewish Bible translation by David H. Stern, Jewish New Testament Publications Incorporated, unless otherwise noted. Let's begin with the opening blessing for the Torah. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, asher bachar banu mikol ha'amim, v'natan lanu et Torato. Baruch atah Adonai noten ha-Torah. Amen. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe. You have selected us from among all the peoples and have given us your Torah. Blessed are you, Lord, giver of the Torah. Amen. Well, life is full of cycles. Beginnings and endings encompass our whole existence. Hashem has masterfully designed everything in creation to work together this way. For example, the rain falls to the land. It's washed down to the sea via rivers and streams. And then, of course, evaporation takes place and clouds form. And then the whole cycle repeats itself. Cycles are good. Cycles produce cleansing. Cycles promote growth. With cycles also comes needed change of routine. In the absence of the numerous life cycles, I'd have to admit that our opportunities for development would be truncated, and our existence might seem rather boring and mundane. Well, the Torah of Hashem is a book full of cycles, and its pages are teeming with the beginnings and the endings of men, of families, of nations, and kings. In fact, as soon as one episode ends, another one's just beginning. It's never stagnant. And this type of life action flow makes for adequate challenge to you and I, the readers of the Torah, providing us with the necessary lessons and examples whereby we can shape our own lives into the person that Hashem created us to be. It is with this introduction that we embark on the final parasha, the final portion of the first five books of the Torah. As we shall see, even this ending is really just another new beginning. Our Torah portion gains its name, Vazot Habracha, from the opening statement of chapter 33, verse 1. Let's read that opening pasuk, okay? In Hebrew it reads, Vazot Habracha, Asher Barach Moshe Ish HaElohim Et Bnei Yisrael Lifnei Moto. This is the blessing that Moshe, the man of God, spoke over the people of Israel before his death. In many ways, this is one of the saddest portions of the Torah. First, Moshe, the father and if we could say mother, of the budding new nation of Israel, is about to die and to pass the leadership on to Yahushua, his faithful servant, Joshua. 
Moshe has tirelessly led Am Yisrael through many difficult times, as well as provided a visible and necessary link between Israel's untouchable God and themselves. In fact, were it not for this most famous teacher of Israel, the nation surely would not have survived their exodus from the slave land of Egypt. Secondly, although he lovingly conveys to each individual tribe a blessing from the conscience of Hashem, I think the people know that this will be the final instruction and exhortation from this great man. You could almost imagine, if you were there that day, the somber mood that might have replaced the usual excitement and expectation that normally uh, accompanies uh, the giving of a blessing. In fact, giving of blessings is is a is a, a very sought after near ancient Near Eastern custom. You remember with uh, Jacob and Esau after Jacob um, craftily uh, stole the birthright from Esau. Then Esau went into his father Jacob. Uh, I'm sorry, into his father. Um, <laughs> I did get it right. Uh, uh, Jacob and into his father uh, Isaac uh, to get the blessing that he, you know, he thought he had coming to him and and. Um, Papa Isaac was uh, old and up in years and didn't realize that, wait a minute, I already gave you the blessing Esau because it was Jacob who took it the first time. And now here's Esau, for real, wanting the blessing. And um, Papa Isaac had nothing to give him. And, and, and what did Esau do? He wept. He pleaded. Do you have anything left for me? So that's, that's, that's what accompanies a blessing. And, and so um, here's Israel waiting to get a blessing from Moshe, their father, their teacher, realizing, I think sensing within their spirit, that this is the last one they're going to get. In fact, you might even go so far as to imagine him sh- that uh, Hashem himself was saddened by the loss of his closest friend of that time period. Moshe and Hashem were best of friends. And they spoke to one another face-to-face. We're going to talk about um, um, this term face-to-face a little later on. You know, God called Moses his friend. Look at Exodus 33.11. God spoke face-to-face with Moshe as a man speaks with his friend. Surely the father's heart would miss this type of earthy fellowship as well. What also makes this particular Torah portion sad is that lastly, despite the unmatched servitude that Moshe provided to Hashem, he and his brother Aharon's disobedience, we read about this earlier, when they displayed the holiness of Hashem to the people at the spring in Merivat Kadesh, you can uh, recall Numbers chapter 20, verse 7 through 12, to see the story there. You remember that? This disobedience warranted the punishment of not being able to cross the River Jordan into the Promised Land. Moshe would only get to view this land from a distance before his death. Now, space doesn't permit me here to conduct a detailed study on each and every blessing that Moshe gave to the Twelve Tribes. You can go back and read them right here in your Torah portion. Instead, for the sake of our study, I just want to single out one preeminent tribe and comment on the blessing that Moshe uh, gives to them. And then we're going to examine the final words of chapter 34. If you have the written notes, we're around the middle of page 2 with the chapter entitled Judah's Preeminence. Let's read a verse. Chapter 33, verse 7. Quote, Of Yehuda he said, Hear Adonai the cry of Yehuda. Bring him to his people. Let his own hands defend him. But you Help him against his enemies, end quote. This is the blessing given to the tribe of Yehuda, the tribe of Judah. And it's found in chapter 33, verse 7. You remember, Judah is the son of Israel, who um, during the, uh, uh, the encounters with Joseph, when Joseph was the vizier, when Joseph was um, orchestrating the meetings between the brothers, Judah stepped forward and played the leadership role. Judah had character, and he demonstrated his character among his brothers by stepping forward 
and securing, as it were, the things necessary so that Joseph's anger would not result in the brothers being destroyed. Remember, Judah made sure that Benjamin's safety was secure even at the, um, at the uh, um, disappointment of his father who was, was old and gray and was ready to, to die if this youngest son was going to be taken from him. Judah proved his worthiness in that um, he, he showed that even though he wasn't the firstborn, he wasn't the eldest member of the tribe, he had character and it's at this point in time, I believe, that God is going to reward the character of this man, Judah, by blessing the entire tribe of Judah. This tribe has also experienced the messianic blessing or the messianic prophecy um, in Genesis 49, verses 8 through 12. You can recall it from there. You know, what could Moshe be hinting right now at when he uses the phrase, bring him to his people? We just read it here in verse 7. I would like to make a short homiletic exposition, a short midrash, on this particular statement, bring him to his people, okay? Now, what I want to do is I want to use our current knowledge of the previous prophecy or the previous blessing that I mentioned in uh, Genesis chapter 49 there. Um, let's go ahead and read that verse uh, because it, 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 we're going to need it so that we can, um, we can understand where we're going to go here in Devarim. Let me turn backwards in my Torah portion or in my... Torah here to Genesis chapter 49 so we can figure out what was said then and bear uh, uh, see how it bears relevance for what we're going to talk about now. Genesis 49 verses 8 through 12 quote, Yehuda your brothers will acknowledge you your hand will be on the neck of your enemies your father's sons will bow down before you Yehuda is a lion's cub. My son, you stand over the prey. He crouches down and stretches like a lion, like a lioness. Who dares to provoke him? The scepter will not pass from Yehuda, nor the ruler's staff from between his legs, until he comes to whom obedience belongs. Or an alternate version might say, until Shiloh or Shiloh comes. And it is he whom the, prop, uh, whom the peoples will obey. Verse 11, tying his donkey to the vine, his donkey's colt to the choice grape vine. He washes his clothes in wine, his robes in the blood of grapes. His eyes will be darker than wine, his teeth whiter than milk. End quote. That's Genesis 49, 8 through 12. The blessing, of course, was um, Jacob calling for his sons to come together. And by the Spirit of God, he was extending this words of blessing to them, but yet we know, looking backwards, that um, the Spirit of God was on him, and so the words that he spoke were not just for the men, for his sons. We know that prophetically, they extend to the tribes, and eventually to the, the preeminent offspring of those tribes. So, um, we know that Shiloh, in that particular verse, or Shiloh, refers to the Messiah. In fact, I don't need to quote the various places where the Talmud makes this association as well. It is well known in rabbinic circles that the prophecy of Genesis 49, verse 10, is referring to the coming Mashiach. It's quite well and quite uh, familiar, I should say, to Christians as well. To be sure, Yeshua ben Yosef, Jesus, the son of Joseph, was in fact born into the tribe of Yehuda, And I believe it confirms the word of this prophecy. You can look up Matthew 1, verses 1 through 16, as well as Revelation 5, 5, to see that this is the tribe that he came from. Another indication that we should acknowledge Yeshua as the long-awaited Messiah. Now, since Yeshua fulfilled the prophecy in Genesis, he therefore stands to represent the tribe as its most notable member. He is the quintessential Yehudite. He is the quintessential Judahite, the quintessential Jew. Okay. Moreover, the Messiah represents actually the entire nation of Israel as a whole. God makes this plain when God refers to him as his righteous servant in the book of Isaiah. In Genesis, the blessing that the Messiah would come was in the future tense, remember? It was in the future. 
Likewise, here in our present text, here in Deuteronomy, the wording seems to suggest that Yehuda would experience in the future an exile of some sort, a distancing of himself, as it were, or maybe someone else, from the rest of the people. Look at, look at what it said there. It says, bring him to his people. Bring him to his people? Bring Yehuda to his people? Bring this this messianic figure to the people of Israel? What exactly is the is the prophecy uh, referring to? Bring him to his people. I suggest that Yeshua is the one of whom the tribe of Yehuda is crying out to, or crying out because of. It's actually, I believe, the words of the tribe. Quote, bring him, bring Yeshua to his people. End quote. Let's, let's, let's think about this for a moment, people. Judah, when the time came for the tribes to split, we had 12 tribes, and the kingdom split after Solomon's day because of uh, the disobedience of David's house and the disobedience of Solomon's house. God promised that he would split the kingdoms, but not while those two great men were living. Indeed, after Solomon had died, uh, God split the kingdoms. So, of the twelve tribes, and remember Levi, his allotment was scattered throughout the twelve. Of those twelve tribes, ten of the tribes broke and went north, as it were, um, occupying the northern half of the land of Israel. And then two of the tribes, Judah and and Benjamin, along with a predominant portion of Levi, um, stayed southern Israel. They stayed in the south. So we had the ten tribes to the north, known as Israel, or Ephraim. And then we had the two tribes, or three if you want to count Levi, um, in the south, known as Judah. They took the name Judah. Now, the prophets tell us that the ten northern tribes were actually exiled Swallowed up, as it were, by the forces of Assyria. God sent the um, pagan nation of Assyria to come down, and, as it were, and scoop up the ten northern tribes because of their gross idolatry, because of their disobedience, and because of their lack of interest in Hashem as their husband. And so off they went into captivity, and because they never retained their identity, they were indeed, as it were, lost to Israel. They became known as the lost tribes of Israel. They didn't really fully regain their status as tribes. I mean, that was it. There were pockets of people who trickled back into Israel. Um, but even the rabbis agree that for the most part, uh, the, the, you know, the ten northern tribes were never really fully reconstituted um, as, as, as a group. Similarly, because of Judah's disobedience as well. She played the harlot just like her sister Ephraim, just like her sister Israel. She did not learn from Israel's mistake, from, from Ephraim's mistake. And as a result, God sent the, the evil king uh, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, not Nebuchadnezzar, but Nebuchadnezzar, to, um, to, to scoop up Judah, as it were, and exile her to Babylon. And so off she went as well. And so in exile, she cried out to God. And, you know, 70 years later, God promised to the prophets that he would return her to her land. And so sure enough, he returned Judah to her land. And you know what? It was prophesied that she would, in fact, retain most of her identity. She would, in fact, become the keeper of the oracles of Israel, the oracles of God. And so she retained the Torah. She came back to Israel. She came back to the land. Um, and she reestablished herself, Judah did. And so uh, that's, in a nutshell, where we get this idea that Judah gives rise to the name Judahites, or maybe even Judeans, the people who settled in the region that some people call Palestine. The Judahites later became known simply as Jews. And into this world view, into this, this social setting, in the first century, where Judah has come back to her land, post-exilic, is born this person of whom the Torah has anticipated from 1,500 years ago. He, 
Let's go back and read the passage again. Genesis 49, verse 10. It says, The scepter will not pass from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his legs, until he comes to whom obedience belongs. Or, until Shiloh comes. Shiloh comes. Let me read it out of um, the the uh, Art Scroll Tanakh. Uh, the st- I'm sorry, not the Art Scroll, the Stone Edition Tanakh. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 49 here. Read uh, this. Uh, earlier I was reading from David Stern's version, but let's read the other version. Uh, Genesis 49.10 The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a scholar from among his descendants, until Shiloh arrives, and his will be an assemblage of nations. And there's a little a star um, indicating that there's a footnote to this particular pasuk. You know what the star says? You know what the footnote says? It says, quote, The privilege of providing Israel's sovereign ruler symbolized by the royal scepter, shall not pass from the house of Judah. That's according to the Targum Onkelos. Until Shiloh arrives, in essence, the Messiah to whom the kingdom belongs. That's according to Rashi. The word until, Achri in the Hebrew, does not mean that Judah's ascendancy will end with the coming of Messiah. To the contrary, the sense of the verse is that once Messiah begins to rule, Judah's blessing of kingship will become fully realized. That's according to the Shlah. It will become fully realized for all the nations will acknowledge him and pay homage to him. End quote. Isn't that fascinating, people? The rabbis knew. They aren't as blind as we might assume. They knew that this particular Pasek referred to the coming preeminent son of Judah. It's of this person that I believe that the verse here that we're uh, looking at right now in um, uh, uh, Deuteronomy 33.7, of Judah, he said, Hear Adonai, the cry of Judah. It's as if Judah's crying out. Bring him to his people. Bring the Messiah to his people, Israel. You, you see, people, for too long... This son of Yehuda, this Yeshua from Nazareth, he has lived in exile from the rest of his tribe, from the Yehudim, the Judahites, the Jews. Now the remaining remnant of believing Yehudim are petitioning the sovereign Lord, please, O Lord, bring him unto his people, bring the Messiah Unto your people Israel, return him to his tribe, that we may welcome our long lost brother, our own flesh and blood. This is the cry of the Messianic Yehudim, the Jews who have embraced Messiah Yeshua and recognize that he is our long lost brother. Indeed, one day, It's true. The prophets foretell that the entire nation of Israel, all 12 tribes, will welcome back into the community the long-awaited son of Yehuda. Omein, Omein, won't that be a glorious day, people? You living within the, uh, the borders of what we call the church today, I get so many emails. In fact, I got one just today. Ariel, won't you please explain to us how the Christians fit into Israel's plans? We have tasted and we have seen that the Lord is good and we've, we've caught a glimpse of our glorious future right alongside our brothers, the Jews. We realize that we have been grafted into Israel. Help us understand how we can being, bring the promises of these passages to pass. Ariel, help us understand these things. I get emails like this all the time. It is indeed sad, people, that there are many well-meaning Christians. They really know Yeshua. They sincerely believe that Jesus is the Savior. But they don't understand how they've been grafted into Israel. How that the Torah has become their inheritance, their blueprint for daily living. 
It's very sad that they are listening to the the 2,000 years of anti-Semitism that is running rampant within the churches these days. The teachings that suggest that the Torah has been suppressed by the coming of Messiah. That the teachings of Moses are no longer relevant for our lives. And that we should no longer look to the five books of Moses for our daily guidance. That is such a sad legacy. God gave the Torah as an inheritance to Israel, to all 12 tribes, but not just to them. Because God knew from the beginning, and God made provision through Papa Avraham, that one day the Gentiles, the nations, would be drawn into this family along with Israel, along with Jacob's descendants. And together, Jew and Gentile, one in Messiah, we would be called the people of God. We would be known as Amsegulah, his treasured possession, his people Israel. And we together, Jew and Gentile, would embrace this Torah. And all of this is made secure through the exiled son of Judah, this exiled tribal member, this this descendant spoken of in Genesis 49.10. Listen, people, if you belong to a Christian denomination and you have friends or family members who have not yet understood this this wonderful truth, the one I just described, that their glorious future is tied into Israel and their true identity is found in the Messiah and in the Son of Israel, Yeshua, if they do not fully understand that the Torah is to be embraced Take my commentaries to them. I'm not saying I have all the answers, but I'm not ashamed to admit that these are the words of life and that they bring blessing and prosperity and healing and purpose to your life. God loves you the same whether you whether you understand and embrace his words or not. If you have embraced Messiah, then God extends his love to you. But it's God's plan that your life would be filled to overflowing with the blessings that come as you walk into his ways. Remember, God doesn't bless wickedness. Yeshua said, I've come that you might have life. That's salvation. But he said that you might have life more abundantly. Too often, we as Christians are plagued with the same types of ills that... that, that that uh, get the people of the world down. We're depressed. We're, we're, we're defeated. We're sunken. We're sickened. We're, we're, we're confused. We're stressed. And, and oftentimes we don't know where to turn. We can't figure out why these things happen to us. You know, we go to church. We tithe. We read our Bible. We take communion. <laughs> we do the things that we believe we're supposed to be doing. And still, we live with a measure of defeat. I'm here to tell you. God's words were intended to bring you blessing. God's words, the Torah, were given to his people, Israel, so that they might live life more abundantly. You want to be a witness? Walk in the Torah. You want to have God's spirit shine in your life like never before? Embrace God's ways. God will not love you any less. He cannot love you more and he won't love you less based on your understanding of the Torah. It's an unconditional love that he has extended to us. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. This is for you. This does not give earn you brownie points with God if you walk into Torah. What it does is it attracts the power and the spirit of God because God blesses obedience and he has never ever promised bad things for people who follow him, for people who walk into his ways. Blessing is sure to follow because that's how God promised it, okay? So if you've sent me emails and you've asked me, Ariel, please explain these things to my family, to my to my pastor. He doesn't understand. He says the Torah is done away with in Messiah. He goes and he reads Paul's letters and he says, we're not under the law, we're under grace. And, and on and on the, the, the confusion goes. I hear you. I hear you. My heart goes out to you. This is why I put together commentaries the way I do. Go ahead and introduce your pastors and your friends to websites like ours, graftedin.com. The commentaries that I write, the 54 Torah portions and their commentaries, and the audio uh, um, 
the audio podcasts that I put you know put together. They're for you people. They're for free. Download them, share them. Don't alter them. Okay, <laughs> uh, you know I've, I've I've copyrighted the content, but 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 share them with people. You're free to distribute them, and I thank you for the support that you send back to me in return. It's a wonderful relationship that we have with one another. You people are the ones that make my podcasts possible. My listeners and my readers are the ones who make my ministry possible because I don't draw any salary or any type of income from the congregation that I attend. I'm an adjunct to our teacher. I do this for free. I do this as a service of the heart. I am actually supported by the well-meaning listeners and the readers who log on to our website and, and listen to my commentaries and read uh, the, the, you know, the Torah portion notes and things like that. So thank you, thank you so much for staying with me down through the years and providing support for me. It's an ongoing ministry, and so I do continue to solicit your report, uh, your, uh, your support. Thank you for your giving. Thank you for your generosity. And I know that the Lord's going to bless you in the end, okay? Let's continue into my commentary into the next section near the bottom of page 3 with the paragraph entitled, Moshe, Types and Shadows. Now, it's no secret that Moshe is a type of Messiah. He's a messianic figure. He is, in fact, a leader, the greatest leader that Israel has ever known, next to Yeshua. In some ways, Moshe was greater than Yeshua because he was able to effect a change uh, in the people of Israel's formation as a people group. Yeshua came on the scene after Israel had already formed. Uh, Yeshua came on to the social scene after Israel had already been given the Torah and after they had already been living in the land. Moshe, however, was singled out by God to take the people out of the land of Egypt into the promised land and establish them as a people, giving them God's words and God's ways. So in some ways, Moshe is greater than Yeshua, if we can understand the illusion and not get too confused. I want to briefly examine the, uh, the final eulogy about this man, Moshe. The text here in our Torah portion, chapter 34, verse 10, says that Israel has not enjoyed a prophet on the same level as Moshe since his death. And you know what? Aside from Yeshua, that's absolutely true. From a natural point of view, Moshe stands in a class all by himself. He really does. But earlier in the Torah, in Devarim, in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 15 through 19, if you recall, that's from Parashat Shoftim, Moshe himself actually told the people that the Lord would do what? Raise up another prophet like himself, like Moshe, for the people to follow. First century literary sources actually show that the people living in and around the time of the Second Temple period, um, the time when Yeshua had come, they actually applied this prophetic passage to the coming messianic figure. They read Deuteronomy chapter 18 and they were awaiting the prophet Hanavi. They knew that this referred to the Mashiach to come. And so they waited for him. In fact, when John showed up, you remember they asked him, are you him that who is to come that we are waiting for? Are you the prophet? And John had to reply, no, I'm not him. I'm not the one. Only Yeshua ben Yosef could fill this prophetic role. He was the figure spoken about in Deuteronomy chapter 18. He was the prophet that came from the brothers, the, you know, the brothers of Israel. And he was raised up by God. And he was like Moshe. To be sure, the New Covenant echoes these same sentiments. Now, if we today are to understand what the Torah is instructing the people here in our current parasha, then truly no one, no one, has ever superseded the reputation that Moshe had. He is, in fact, arguably the greatest prophet in Israel. Again, next to Yeshua. And it's a sad legacy that the synagogue today does not recognize that Moshe was preparing the people to meet their Messiah. Moshe was a great teacher, but he knew that he had his limits. He knew that God would use him to prepare the people to look for a greater person. If Moshe were alive today, he would be saying to Israel, I know that you think I'm a great man, and it is true, 
on an earthly level, I am the greatest teacher of Israel that God has ever sent the people of Israel. But listen up, people. God has sent his son into the world and he has superseded me. I have diminished and he has increased. I have decreased and he has increased. You must look to this greater teacher of Israel. His name is Yeshua. Look to him. He's greater than me. His ministry is greater than mine. Look to him for your salvation. This is what Moshe would say to the people of Israel if they could hear him speak right now. The truth is, Yeshua, the second Moshe, is shown to be greater than his predecessor was. Now, this doesn't upset the truth of what's recorded here in our Torah portion here in Deuteronomy. Right? Many similarities between them can be observed. Let's look at them. Um, let's see. One, two, three, four, five bullet points in my notes here. We're near the top of page four. Let's look at how Moshe and Yeshua stack up next to one another. This next exercise is not meant to diminish the man Moshe in the light of the man Yeshua. Rather, I want to draw a comparison and a contrast between the two for the purpose of showing good and better. Do you know what I mean? Moshe is good. The leadership that Moshe provided was good. And Moshe did his job. Moshe was faithful to the house that God had given to him. This is, this is basically the way the book of Hebrews describes Moshe. But when we look at Yeshua, we understand that the faithfulness of Yeshua was greater. It's not good versus bad. It's not Moshe versus Yeshua in a good versus bad battle. It's Moshe compared to Yeshua in a good versus better, a good and better, a good compared to better. Okay. Now with that, let me just read these points. Bullet point number one, or first bullet point. Moshe had his humble beginnings in a relatively unknown family in Egypt, having his life spared by the protection of his immediate family. Comparatively, Yeshua also had his humble beginnings in a lowly, unknown family, his parents having saved their lives and his by fleeing to Egypt. Isn't that a neat comparison there? Let's keep going. Moshe began his public ministry after a period of 40. Remember, after 40 years, Moshe was, uh, there was 40 years where he was in Egypt, 40 years in the desert, and then on that final third um, uh, triad, or that the, the final period of uh, 40, Moshe was called into action. All right, So he began his public ministry after a period of 40. If you remember, Yeshua also began his public ministry after a period of 40. The difference, of course, is Moshe was 40 years, Yeshua was 40 days. The 40 years that Yeshua spent in the, in the wilderness there. The third bullet point, Moshe was the giver of the Torah. God utilized him to actually hand down the Torah write it down and, 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 and instruct the people as to how to be pleasing to God, how to live according to God's ways. Yeshua, by comparison, came and explained the fullness and the correct interpretation of Moshe's Torah. He took, as it were, that which Moshe had already given and he took it to a new level. He took it actually back to its original intended meaning. Because by Yeshua's day, the people had already grossly misinterpreted the Torah that God had given to Moshe. The uh, fourth bullet point reads this way. In more than one instance, Moshe acted in the role of intercessor between the people and Hashem. Remember, there were several times that if it weren't for the love of Moshe for his people Israel, God would have wiped them out in his in his anger. So Moshe is seen as acting as intercessor. He he interceded between the people and Hashem. Comparatively, Yeshua became our great high priest. And today he intercedes for us on behalf of the Father, and he forever lives to make intercession on our behalf. Isn't that wonderful? the type and shadow that's provided between Moshe and Yeshua here. My last bullet point here is, requires a little bit of explaining. Moshe instituted the Old Covenant. Or as you see in my commentary, it actually says the Older Covenant. The Earlier Covenant. Moshe instituted the rules that God laid out for his people. And under this ruling, under this institution, under this provision... God would meet with his people on an earthly level. 
But God always envisioned that there would be an element to this institution that once the person accepted God on his terms personally, then this person would matriculate. They would graduate to a level that they had not known previously. They would now internalize this relationship with God, and therefore the covenant would take on a new aspect. Thus, Moshe instituted the older covenant, and Yeshua instituted the new, or the newer covenant. Don't confuse what I'm teaching here, people. Yeshua's institution did not supersede Moshe's institution. New covenant does not supersede and replace and nullify the older covenant. There's truly no such thing as the Old and New Testament. Those are terms that Marcion the heretic invented in the, around the 1st and 2nd century. Fortunately, the early church banned him as a heretic, but unfortunately, his legacy lives on in every single Bible that you can buy today that has a title page, Old and New Testament. Do yourself a favor. Rip those pages out. Okay? There's no Old or New Testament. It's all one testament. It's all one revelation. And it's a continued revelation. It progressively describes the lifestyle of a child of God from Genesis through to Revelation. It's all one covenant. And we are to embrace the whole of it. Moshe instituted the earlier portions. Yeshua came and stepped into the fullness and fulfilled the parts that were designed for him to fulfill. The other parts we're to walk into now that Yeshua has come. Is anyone confused? If you have questions, don't hesitate to write to me, okay? Thus we see as we bring our commentary to a close, we see that Yeshua was greater than Moshe in many respects, yet the context of the verse that we just read is not compromised. These facts about Moshe and Yeshua, they're very important for us to internalize because many members of the Jewish community have taken the words of this prophecy to a literal extreme where God says that there's never a, a prophet who will arise greater than Moshe. They take them to an extreme and they discount any possibility of Yeshua being the Messiah because if Yeshua is the Messiah, then he's greater than Moshe. And how can these words ring true? In fact, just to pull out one rather um, prominent example, a famous teacher by the name of Rabbi Moshe ben Maimon, he's affectionately known as Rambam. Some of you call him Rambam, right? He lived from 1135 to 1204 after the Common Era. He produced a series of 13 principles, which are still recited in synagogues today. It's found right in our prayer books, right in our siddurs. Okay, One of these principles of his list of 13 states that this verse, the verse that we read here, about Moshe being a prophet like no one else, chapter 34, verse 10, Rambam states in his 13 principles that Quote, no prophet has arisen in Israel like Moshe, and none ever will, end quote. So consequently, according to the Rambam, Yeshua could not have been the prophet, capital T-H-E, capital P-R-O-P-H-E-T. According to the Rambam, Yeshua can't be the one. If you'd like more information on, on um, Deuteronomy 18, 15 through 19, and the subject of the prophet, if that's intrigued or piqued your curiosity, I want you to read my commentary at the Parashat Shoftim. It is, of course, provided by this website. I want to close my commentary by talking to us, talking to you, about returning to our roots. We have left the ways of God. We've walked away and we've abandoned God's ways. We have left the Torah behind us in favor of some new, as it were, newfangled, better way, being led by the Spirit, supposedly. Don't get me wrong, I'm not mocking. We are to be led by the Spirit. That's truth. That is true. But we are to be led by the Spirit into the Torah of God. It is the Spirit of God that enables us and empowers us to walk into the Torah of God. So this final uh, paragraph in my commentary is entitled Returning to Our Roots. Our parasha has come to an end, but our study of the Torah should never end. It's a constant, ever-growing, ever-changing, 
ever-challenging quest that we are to embark on. We are to study the Torah over and over. And I tell you what, every year that I study the Torah, every year I read it, I find something that I didn't see before. I discover new commandments that I'm that I'm eager and, wa- and waiting and, and, and asking to walk into. Father, won't you show me how to walk into your ways? Show me how to, to, to serve you in new and exciting ways. I invite you to turn the Torah over again. Turn it over and over. You remember in the Parashat Shmini Atzeret, I'm sorry, not Parashat, uh, the commentary to Shmini Atzeret, we pulled a quote from Rabbi Ben Bagbag from the Talmud from Pirkei Avot. He told us to turn it over and over again, these words of the Torah. And that's why we cycle through the Torah portions year after year. I encourage you to do that. Start, start at, get into the habit of reading the Torah consistently, regularly. Read it with us. Read it along with, with the Jewish community worldwide. Read it along with us here at graftedin.com. That's why I provide these commentaries for you week after week. Start in Genesis right after the conclusion of the fall feasts and keep your pace. Uh, discipline yourself. Read each portion week after week until you've read through the five books of Moshe. Allow God's Spirit to write His words deep within the fibers of your soul. In fact, in keeping with Jewish custom, what I want to do for you is I want to recite for you the last few verses of the book of Deuteronomy here in our Torah portion. And then what I'm going to do is immediately follow those verses with the first few verses in Genesis. Why do I do this? Because this provides a seamless transition between the book of Deuteronomy and the cycling back around again to the book of Genesis. It's an unbroken study. We are not to put God's words down. We are to take them to ourselves. And as the Shema uh, uh, tells us, we are to study them day and night. And so... After I read the uh, Torah portion, or after I read these few verses, I'll have one more paragraph, and then our commentary uh, will draw to a close, okay? Follow along with me in my commentary. Um, uh, I'm about near the bottom of page four, okay? Let me go ahead and read the Hebrew for you first. V'lo kam navi od b'Yisrael asher yada'o Adonai panim el panim. לכל האותות והמופתים אשר שלחו אדוני לעשות בארץ מצרים לפרו ולכל עבודיו ולכל ארצו ולכל היד החזקה ולכל המורה הגדול אשר עשה משה לעיני כל ישראל. Since that time, there has not arisen in Israel a prophet like Moshe, whom Adonai knew face to face. What signs and wonders Adonai sent him to perform in the land of Egypt upon Pharaoh, all his servants, and all his land? What might was in his hand? What great terror he evoked before the eyes of all Israel? Breshit bara Elohim et hashamayim ve'et ha'aretz v'ha'aretz ha'ita tohu v'vohu v'choshek al panei tahom v'ruach Elohim merachefet al panei hamayim v'yomer Elohim yehi or v'yehi or In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth the earth was unformed and void. Darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God hovered over the surface of the water. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. End quote. I challenge you to continue studying God's word on your own. Or do it with the aid of a good commentary. You're, again, you're welcome to distribute mine among your groups, print them out, make copies of them, um, and, and, and study along with them if you like. You don't have to. Um, you are always invited to visit our website at craftedin.com and utilize all of the resources there. That's why we make them available for you. A weekly commentary 
It's going to be provided for every Shabbat reading of the Torah schedule. I've written a commentary to every single Torah portion, and they are available for you to download. One of these days, I'm going to compile my written notes into some some type of a um, of a devotional or a study guide, and make that available for a, a, you know some type of a low cost. Um, I'm also going to compile the audio notes, so I'm working on that. Maybe a book or something like that is in the future. So keep praying for me and keep supporting me because I need your prayers and I need your support. Of course, you may also wish to consult other various rabbinic commentaries on these particular studies, the Parshot Hashvua, the weekly portions. It's customary within Jewish circles after the completion of a book of the Torah to recite these words. Chazach, chazach. Be strong, be strong, and let us be strengthened. The closing blessing is as follows. And since this is the final portion of our uh, study, I'm going to chant the final blessing, okay? Baruch Adonai, Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Asher Natan Lanu Torah Amen. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe. You have given us your Torah of truth and have planted everlasting life within our midst. Blessed are you, Lord, giver of the Torah. Amen. I love you all. I wish you a wonderful Sabbath. Shabbat Shalom. That concludes our show for today. Remember, because the Messiah has already come, the Torah is now a document meant to be lived out in the life of a faithful follower of Yeshua through the power of the Ruach HaKodesh to the glory of God the Father. It should not be presumed that it can be obeyed mechanically automatically, legalistically, without having faith, without having trust in Hashem, without having love for God or man, and without being empowered by the Ruach HaKodesh. To state it succinctly, Torah observance is a matter of the heart, always has been, and always will be. My name is Torah teacher Ariel ben Lyman Hanavi. The intro and outro song was produced and performed by Ryan Kingsley. For information on contacting Ryan, you can reach me by email at yeshua613 at hotmail.com. That's Y-E-S-H-U-A number 613 at hotmail.com. Or visit our website at graftedin.com. That's graftedin.com. Thank you.